Welcome to the Greystone Church Podcast. We are grateful that you're here. We pray that you will be blessed by this message and that God will impact your hearts. Let's listen. My goodness, how you doing, Greystone family? So good to be with you. My name's Paul, if you're wondering who the new guy is up on stage. It's so, uh, so good to be here. Uh, you guys are partners with us and supporters of ours as we plant Take Hold Church in Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, so thanks for the Braveheart. Uh, thanks for the Braveheart clip, guys. I really appreciate that. Uh, did not bring my blue face paint with me today. Um, but uh, we're so grateful for our, for our Greystone family, and I love this series that you're in, Advance, and it's inspired me to share something with you from Scripture that I asked the team the other day. I said, hey, have you guys covered this yet? I just wanna make sure, and they hadn't yet, so it's a little bit outside of Acts, and then we'll be in Acts chapter eight here in just a moment. And I, I don't do this much, but um, you know, we're, we're worshiping, and we're gonna worship some more in a few moments. We put all of our attention on the Savior, right? And uh, we are here to worship God, thank him for all he's done in our lives. But goodness gracious, when Lauren is singing yes and amen, that is on a whole nother level. I have, I have heard that song a bunch of times, but man, what a great team you have. Do you ever appreciate this team? And uh, they do such a great job. And so I'll give them an attaboy, atta girl, and uh, we'll put all the focus back on, on Jesus as we worship together here in just a few moments. So there's an Old Testament passage. It's actually found in the book of Micah that the people of Jesus' day understood to be a messianic prophecy. They just didn't know it was about him. And so he begins to make some clarification, and he does it by using John the Baptist. I want to just reference two Old Testament passages, take you to a New Testament passage, and I think you'll see why. And then we're gonna jump in, into Acts chapter eight here in, in just a moment. But first from the book of Micah. Micah chapter two, verse 12 says, I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And so... Think of a shepherd leading sheep, and they lead all day long, they lead the sheep through all the places they need to go, peaceful pastures, by still waters, all of those things, and then at the end of the day, all the shepherds get together and they create a makeshift pen because they're just gonna keep the sheep moving after this, and so, but they need them to be in one place at night so everyone can sleep, so they just, they get some rocks and they just kinda create an, enough height, and it doesn't have to be very high, but enough of an area to keep the sheep inside. That's the picture from Micah chapter two, and, and overnight, the sheep would go restless and hungry, and the shepherd might find himself, if there's any gap in, these, in the stone wall that they've created, the shepherd will just lay across it. He will literally become the door for the sheep. And then in the morning, when it's time for the sheep to go out, the shepherd will probably stay in front of that gate, stay in front of that opening, and if they want all the sheep to leave and go in a particular direction, what will happen is one of the shepherds will go into that pen and he will knock over all of the rocks just as hard as he can, just knock them over because the sheep are coming right behind them and sure enough, they would go and they would rush back out into the pasture again. 
That's a picture from Micah chapter 2, sheep that are pinned up, and somebody breaks them out so the shepherd can lead them again. Now we jump to Matthew chapter 11, something that Jesus said. Jesus is actually trying to explain now to a Jewish audience that he's the one they've been waiting for. I've spoken to Jews in Israel many times, and I've said, do you understand that Jesus was the Messiah? He claimed to be the Son of God. They said, no, he never claimed that. That's, that's their big thing, and they can't help it. The scriptures tell us that there's scales over their eyes. We can try to break through it in conversation a little bit, and, and if you want to break through it in conversation, you can take them to Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, where Jesus says, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I, will, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now, that's Malachi chapter 3, so we've got two Old Testament prophets involved now. The Jews love that. We don't have to turn to Malachi 3. Jesus just quoted it directly, and then he goes back to the Micah passage we just read. This is going to make sense in just a minute, I promise. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully, would you read that next word with me? All right, wait, come on, Greystone. Here we go. All right. The man's taking us through the Old Testament. We don't know why. We just want to get to Acts. We want to continue. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully. Advancing. Come on. Forcefully advancing and forceful men, and I'll go ahead and say forceful women, lay hold of it. Take hold of it. Just preference in the language. You see, you've wandered around for so long, Jesus says, and then you're exiled. And then you're brought back together now like sheep in the pen. But sheep don't like to stay in the pen for very long. And from Malachi to the birth of Jesus, it's been 400 years of silence. And Jesus says since the days of John the Baptist, which at this point is just a few months ago, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing. It has been advancing, and forceful men and women, they lay hold of it. Forceful people lay hold of it. And there is a word here that Jesus uses that nobody else uses that's not used anywhere else in the scriptures. It's the Greek word biazo, B-I-A-Z-O. And he uses it positively. And if you're reading from a different translation and you're comparing what's on the screen today, you may have seen the word violence, which is a really kind of unfortunate translation, more of a reflection of the 1611 and the time in which the Bible was translated. But the word biazo is only used here in the whole of Scripture, and that's why I point it out, and it's only used by Jesus, because Jesus uses a word that nobody else uses to describe his kingdom. And it's unlike anything anyone was expecting. Jesus uses a word that means positive assertiveness. And if you're going to translate it literally from Matthew eleven twelve, 12, the word biazo is the word advance. Advance. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. And people that want to be a part of it are going to advance it along. They are going to advance with it. At the beginning of his ministry, when Jesus is just getting started, he says, my kingdom is forcefully 
advancing. And if you want to be a part of it, you're going to have to have the initiative and the assertiveness to take hold of it with him. Because you see, you don't accidentally experience the kingdom of God. You don't accidentally experience Jesus. You don't accidentally become a disciple. You don't accidentally have a transformation take place in your life. Now that Jesus has given his Holy Spirit, we yield control of our lives, that spirit, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul calls it being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, verse 18. It's what it means to go before God every day and say, Spirit, lead me. Spirit, do what only you can do today. Lead me around in my life. But to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, to be an advancing disciple, requires purposeful surrender. It does not happen by accident. If you're going to advance in this Christian life, it won't be from just showing up and then going back along your way. But rather, it will be a decision to intentionally, purposefully assert yourself into the advancing kingdom of God. Oh, and it's still advancing. It's still moving forward. And if you want your life to advance, then forceful men and women will lay hold of it. Even on the other side of tragedy, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. Even in the midst of persecution, the kingdom will advance. Now into the book of Acts we go. After his stoning, they laid the robes of Stephen at the feet of a Pharisee named Saul. Now, if you don't know the story of Saul, I assume you need to be here next week, right? If you do know the story of Saul, you need to be here next week, all right? Because it's absolutely incredible. But at this point, Saul is someone who is persecuting the church. The word that you probably see in your Bible from verse 3 is that he's ravaging the church. He's destroying it. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, says he's doing it from house to house, and I think that's on purpose. Because the church is growing in Acts chapter two from house to house. And now Paul is just, or he will be, I gave it away. I gave away the ending of the story. And now Saul, <laughs> and now Saul is going in to destroy it from house to house. That's what's going on, and then we pick up and Verse four, it says this. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. I love this word scattered because it can mean being dispersed into a foreign land like Scotland. I'm feeling like a very scattered person on a, on a daily basis. Can I just tell you? But the word scattered here is a farming term. It means to throw seed. You know, you, you don't reap a harvest unless you throw seed. And the children of God, the people of God are being scattered in the midst of this persecution. As they're being scattered, they're preaching the word. You know, sometimes the enemy cooks up a circumstance or a temptation to try to stamp you out. But if you will remain faithful and obedient, those difficult circumstances will cause the influence of your life for the kingdom of God to spread like never before. But without seed, there's no harvest. 
And that principle applies to everything in your life. Without, invest, without investment in your relationships and your friendships, they shrivel and die. Without investment in your marriage, it will shrivel and die. Without positive investment in your health, the body weakens. God doesn't say that your finances will flourish without you sowing seed into his kingdom. But then he says, but test me on that one and watch and see what I will do. Some harvests are a long time coming. We call that parenting. But if you sow seeds of anger and impatience, mom and dad, that is what you will reap. But if you sow seeds of God's love and purpose and mission into the hearts of your kids, then those things will flourish in their lives eventually. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Now, one of the key characteristics of the advancing kingdom of God is that we would share the message of God's love and sacrifice with those who are different than us in every way. If you've been around the church for any length of time, then you are a little bit familiar with the significance of Samaria. Yes, it's a geographical location, but it's less about geography and more about a group of people that the Jews just hated. And they hated them for what they thought were all kinds of good reasons. And it goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the Samaritans used to be just purely Jews, but then they began to intermarry with non-Jews. But it wasn't just that they intermarried with the wrong families. It's that they purposely chose families who worshiped those other than God. They worshiped other idols, and so there was a lots of, of false worship and, and desecration of the temple. There's episode after episode, story after story of how the Samaritans had offended the Jews. There's a lot of history and a lot of bad blood. But there's, there is this recurring theme as it applies to the advancing kingdom of God. Are you willing to advance the kingdom to people who have hurt you most? Because that's where God has just sent Philip. Are you willing to advance the kingdom among those who are different than you? Among people from different countries or different races or people who vote different than you? Hello. Or Alabama fans. I mean, let's just, let's just call it all out. Let's get all the differences out on the table. <laughs> that the Samaritans keep coming up as this example. From the Samaritan woman in John chapter four who is getting water at a well in the middle of the day, it was a big deal, not just that Jesus was talking to a woman in the middle of the day, but that she was Samaritan. And then Jesus would use a parable later on, the parable that we know as the one of the good Samaritan, try to get a Jew to say those two words back to back. And then Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story? See, it's not just a reoccurring theme of storytelling. It is a characteristic of the advancing kingdom of God that we would share the message of God's love and sacrifice with those who are different than us in every way. So who comes to your mind? Is there anybody in your life, in your circle of influence, that... You know they need Jesus. It's just not gonna come from you. We have to be careful that we don't withhold 
the good news of the gospel and God's love from people just because they make us uncomfortable. Or if we're really being honest, we just don't like them. A characteristic of the advancing kingdom of God is that we will share Jesus with everyone is a nice way to just to paint a broad brush over it, but let's get real specific. We will share Jesus with those who are different than us, even those who have offended us, who have hurt us. Who has hurt you? We have a lot of exes, don't we? Some of you have an ex. You were married before. But we all have exes. An ex-boss, an ex-friend, an ex-this or that. The, those are the people that we think, yeah, we know they need Jesus. It's going to have to be someone else. And God says, no, I still would like for it to be you. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to come about. But the Holy Spirit leads you into that. We have to be willing to say yes. The second thing I want you to see here is that sharing the good news of Jesus neutralizes suffering. That's a big one. And that phrase sounds kind of preachery, so let me just explain it a little further. Philip is in Samaria as a result of persecution, as a result of Stephen's death. He would not have chosen Samaria otherwise. And now Saul is destroying the church. Understand, no one is blaming Stephen for what happened. And they could have. If he would have just kept his mouth shut. Instead, he gives this amazing, powerful, bold message that causes Jesus to stand up at the right hand of the Father. No one is blaming Stephen. They're honoring him by sharing Jesus. Have you ever grieved something and your response has been blame? I know I have. Blame the cancer. Blame the person, blame sin, blame yourself, blame God. Listen, blame will turn grief into bitterness. But if you will make a choice to focus on the work of God in the middle of your toughest circumstances, he will turn your mourning into joy. I've seen it over and over again. I was in a room this week in a hospice room with a lady that I've known almost 20 years. She beat cancer once, and then last weekend we got the call that she wasn't going to beat it this time. That was not God's will this time. And we've been praying for months and months and months that she would beat it. And as we walked in, a, a great family member who's been taking care of this family so well stopped us outside and said, listen, her husband, Russ, he's, he's, he's doing fine. He's doing as well as can be expected. This family member's doing okay, and this family member's doing okay. This, fam this one's doing okay. But her granddaughter's not okay. Her granddaughter's not okay. We can't get her to talk. She hasn't talked to anybody in days. She's completely closed down. Well, 20 years ago, I was her children's pastor. And so I walked into the room and did the same thing that I would do and that I did when she was seven years old. I got down on her level because this is where she was, just weeping, about to lose her grandmother. And I said, Kelsey, you know you look just like her. 
when you smile, you shine just like her. But let me remind you of something. Your grandmother has stood at the door of a church and welcomed people every Sunday she was available for 20 years. She has welcomed thousands of people into the presence of Jesus. I don't know if you stand at a door around this church somewhere, but can I tell you, if you do, and you smile at somebody coming, you may have smiled at somebody today that hasn't had anybody smile at them in a few days, and their memory of the last time they came to church is not a smile, but they're here today, and they feel welcome because of you. That's what this lady did. Almost every Sunday, for 20 years, ushered people into the presence of Jesus. And that reminder of who he is caused a girl who had not looked up in, by every family member's account, two or three days, caused her to look up and smile and nod her head. You see, when you share Jesus, even in the middle of grief and persecution, moment by moment, slowly but surely, it can turn mourning into joy. They're honoring what Stephen had done. They're honoring his boldness. They're honoring his legacy in these moments. And God's about to do some things that will change the course of history. All right, we've got 35 verses left in about eight minutes, so here we go. What's the result of being scattered and sharing God's love with those who think different or have even hurt us? What's the result? The scripture says in Acts chapter eight, you'll have to trust me or read it later on this week in your group or around your family table. The scriptures say that as Philip went into Samaria and began to share that there were miracles, that demons were cast out, that people were healed, that there was rejoicing in the city. There was actually a magician in town that people believed he had the power of God, but now that they've actually seen the power of God, they realize he doesn't. And he realizes he doesn't. His name is Simon. And he knows that what he's been doing is not authentic. And when he sees actual miracles, he comes to Philip, he talks to him about it. And Acts chapter eight tells us that he puts his faith in Christ. Why? Because he saw something that was real. There will always be fakers and haters, but as we live an authentic, advancing Christian life in front of people, some of them will come asking for the truth. And that's what he does. This man that everybody knew turns his life around. And what began to happen in Samaria was such a big deal that they called in the big dogs. Peter and John are called in from Jerusalem to come and help Philip with this revival that's breaking out. And the scriptures say, verse 14, that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, I just said that, but who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So just a little bit of, of theology here. We gotta understand this. What is this about? You see, I thought we received the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Well, we do. I, I believe that's the case. I believe the scriptures point that out over and over again. The Holy Spirit indwells us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you from the moment of salvation. But realize that some of the book of Acts is showing us how Jesus kept the promise of sending the Holy Spirit to the entire world. In Acts chapter two, the Spirit comes to the Jews. 
Here in Acts chapter 8, he comes to Samaritans, people that the Jews had intermarried with. In Acts chapter 10, you'll see in a couple weeks that the Holy Spirit comes to Gentiles. That would be all of us, non-Jews, most everyone listening today. And then in Acts 19, he comes to some of the disciples of John the Baptist who appear to not yet know what has gone down with Jesus and his death and resurrection, and they would be really, really important to the story. So these four entrances of the Spirit to these representative groups of people cover Jesus' promise to everyone. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will know that you have the Spirit of God. You won't have to guess about it. You won't have to just believe it by faith. There will be evidence in your life. He will convict you of sin. That's not... Jiminy Cricket, that's the Holy Spirit. He guides you into truth by helping you understand the scripture and discern culture. There will be fruit in your life. And when those things are happening, you can be confident. You can be confident that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You have the ability to advance his kingdom because of his Holy Spirit. You can have the courage to believe for the improbable and the impossible. And you can step out in faith across the street or across the ocean knowing that God will not let you down. And he will lead you to play a role in advancing his kingdom by sharing your faith with others. And that's what happens here at the end of Acts chapter 8. Verse 25 says, When they, Peter, John, and Philip, had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and we're preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. <laughs> I love this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get ready and go south to the road which descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. You see that in parentheses? It's actually in the text. They just put it in parentheses to kind of emphasize it. This is a desert road. This is the second time in about 30 verses that Philip is being sent somewhere he would not have gone. He got sent to Samaria, and now he's being sent along a desert road. He gets a new assignment. And it's an assignment that makes so little sense that an angel of the Lord sends him on his route. He has just ushered in a major revival, and God says, yeah, but I got something else I need you to do. And it's gonna look a lot smaller but it's actually going to have a huge impact. So Philip didn't argue, he got ready and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he, the eunuch, had come to Jerusalem to worship. History would tell us that there's a large Jewish population, and a lot of Jewish converts across Northeast Africa. This comes, honestly, you can trace it back to the days of Solomon and his interactions with a, a woman in the Old Testament that's referred to as the Queen of Sheba. So Sudan, South Sudan, Ethiopia, that, that whole area. And now this man has most likely gone up to Jerusalem and he's coming back from one of the feasts. But he may not have been able to worship like everyone else. In fact, he would not have been able to worship like everyone else. Why? Because the book of Deuteronomy tells us that if someone is a eunuch, they are not permitted to be a part of all the worship. They have to kind of stay on the outside. And I've heard people try to make the description of this man a, a little more palatable, but can I just say real quick, the word eunuch can really only mean one of a couple things, and I'm not going to get into it. 
but he's a eunuch. And he would have been forced to be one probably before puberty so that he could be raised to work in the queen's court and there'd be no sexual temptation that could create any disruption in a royal household. It was common practice. He had experienced physical suffering and he was prevented from worshiping like everyone else. And he's reading Isaiah 53. He's experienced excruciating physical suffering and humiliation when he reads this. Just listen to it. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to it. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. He was held in low esteem. This man's reading his own story. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Oh, it may have started out as his story, but it quickly became the story of Jesus. And later on in Acts 53, part of what this man was reading from Acts chapter 8, you can read it yourself. It says, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The Holy Spirit just kind of nudges Philip. It says, go over there. Get by that chariot. Philip could have been preaching to hundreds, even thousands with Peter and John. But an angel said, no, go this way. Go the, take the desert road. The desert road. And on this desert road, most likely other pilgrims coming back from Jerusalem, there would have been thousands and thousands of people and Philip's just walking along the, along the way. And finally, the Spirit of God says, that chariot, that one over there. And you know what Philip did? He went, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, God, I know you want me to talk to that guy. No, that's not what he did. Rather, Acts 8 tells us that Philip runs to the chariot. He runs to it, and he walks, and he listens as this eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, and then Philip asked him, do you know who it is you're reading about? How can I know unless somebody tells me? And Philip tells him, this is about God sending his one and only son, Jesus, who went through all of this suffering for you because he loves you with an everlasting love. How does the kingdom of God advance? One prompting at a time, one person at a time. Have you ever been in a situation you ever been in a moment where you've kind of like felt this like I'm supposed to talk to them about Jesus right now and did you run to do it or did you go yeah I'm not sure what they're gonna think about that God uh, probably not let's wait till the next meeting let's wait till the next time I'm here in the coffee house let's wait till the next time we encounter them. can I just tell you when you get that nudge from God it's most likely that God has already been doing a work he's just inviting you into. You're not starting from nothing. You're joining God in his work. And so you go over and you say, what, what do I say? Well, ask God what to say. I don't know. What do you mean what do I say? How about, 
Hello. Hello. How are you? You good? It seems like something's different today. Is there anything going on you want to talk about? No, it's, it's just home stuff. It's just work stuff. Well, hey, instead of, can I just, why don't you just give me enough, can I just pray for you? Just give me enough so that I can pray about it for you. That's a good starter. What if they crack open the door with a statement like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what I'm gonna do about my marriage, about my life, about my kids. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I just can't find peace anymore. I just can't find rest anymore. I, 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 I don't know what I'm gonna do. Hey, would you be interested in hearing more about what God's done in my life? Oh, and then you're on the way, man. Oh, then you're, then you're on the way. And God's already been working, and now you're in it. And you got four things to tell them, just four. You know God loves you, right? And just vamp on that for a little bit. God loves you. He sent his one and only son for you. Listen, number two, nobody's perfect. Everybody sins. Especially my husband. I'll tell you about that later, but this is... Nobody's perfect. Number one, God loves you. Number two, nobody's perfect, and it creates this gap between us and God. Number three, sin comes with a, a penalty. Being separated from God means not just being separated now, but being, being separated for all of eternity. And I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. So what do you do about it? You receive God's salvation plan. Believe in Jesus with all your heart, and you will be saved. Oh man, the kingdom of God advances. One prompting at a time, one person at a time. Last scripture, one last thought. The eunuch says, there's some water over there, can I get baptized? Philip says, sure, we can do that. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered that the chariot stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him right on the spot. And history would tell us, the early church father, Arrhenius, would tell us that this Ethiopian eunuch, whose life had been transformed by somebody saying, no, you do have access. You can come all the way to God because of what Jesus has done for you, by somebody leading him to faith, one person, Philip was sent hundreds of miles away for one person, and that one person led a movement of revival that history still talks about in North Africa, in Northeast Africa. This Ethiopian eunuch was key to the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what happens if you do nothing? Anybody answer that question? Nothing. Can I show you what nothing looks like? Put the first picture on the screen. This is what nothing looks like. They just left. Show the next one. These aren't like 
houses that got demolished in war, not revolutionary war, not civil war, not anything else. Nothing like that. Here's one more. What happens to your house if you do nothing? This is what nothing looks like. What happens to our church if the people of God do nothing? You see, it's either advance or nothing. I'm so privileged to be standing in a church that doesn't look like that today. And that, leave it there for just a moment if you would, is where my wife and I slept about 10 days ago. You see, it's from the 1500s. And people just left. Now, to be fair, Oliver Cromwell did put a cannonball into the chimney. But you can spackle that and work around it and keep going. For you history buffs, you know who I'm talking about. But just know, there was something. But then people just left. People just left. And this is what happens when you do nothing. But when somebody decides to do something, when somebody decides to get things moving again, when somebody decides to say, yes, I will accept Jesus's command to advance, one prompting at a time, one person at a time, then after two years of planning and two years of construction, you have this a beautiful castle on the side of a hill that we stayed in. It's a whole other story. A little over a week ago. Now, I'm not promising when everybody from Greystone comes to visit us in Scotland that you're gonna stay here, but we're working on it, all right? We're working on some things. We're just gonna need you to take turns as you come, all right? My brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't die for us to do nothing. And he said to his disciples, forceful people, take hold of my kingdom, and they advance. And in the book of Acts, they did it one day at a time, one prompting at a time, one person at a time. How will you advance his kingdom today and this week? Would you pray with me? Father God, Pray that you would speak louder than I ever could. Or would your spirit prompt, would your spirit move? Even in this moment. And may the people of God recognize it's you. And not just a feeling. God, give us the courage to do whatever it is you put on our lives to do. and the faith to know that you'll accomplish the work, that you're already going before us, that you're already making a way, and that's why we can advance. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. For more of these messages, our info on Greystone Church, feel free to visit our website, graystonechurch.com. 
and we pray that you will have an amazing day.